0: Fuck! All right, let's we're, we're rolling. Rolling. Planet B presents presents presents.
1: Cult and Culture
0: Podcast. Welcome to episode twenty-six of the Cult and Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Pearson, and this is Luke Kinshaw. This episode features two of my longtime friends, Corey Lindstrom and Matt Anderson, who happen to be in the band End of the Line, which Three One G is has just now repressed and remastered. Their 1991 self-titled LP. Um, it's been remixed and remastered. Anyhow, End of Line was like a very short kind of blip on the map band that just happened quickly. Um, mainly had members of Heroin in it, um, and then Corey from who I was in a band called Brain Tourniquet with, um, and later went on to John Henry being in John Henry West. Um, it it's just crazy to like be. I don't know. Like it's just crazy to talk about all this stuff mm-hmm. from like my childhood, and and you know I was I think when I first met those guys I was maybe fourteen, maybe a little bit younger. And then I think the first time struggle, my first band went on tour. It was with Into the Line, and at my tour, uh, you know, like we we toured like California or something. But yeah. I mean, I was fifteen years old. Uh, Our friend Rob drove us around, and so it was kind of crazy to just you know sort of reminisce about that stuff, but also just to to look at things in a perspective of a record. And a band that happened in 91 and how hopefully it's still relevant to people it's definitely relevant to me i think it's i think it's crazy to like just kind of look back at things because at that time i mean i had no concept of what it would be like to Mm -hmm. be in my 40s or you know have friends that are even older than me or or, you know even knowing what like music is about or i I mean i was just i was a little kid i didn't i didn't know what was going on so in, in retrospect it's pretty interesting but um you know, and also too like I, I I think we could have done a podcast with each one of them individually because mm. Matt Anderson and on his own you know started gravity records yep. and that's just some insane shit. um I don't know we talk about a bunch of stuff and it kind of was focused on into the line and we, we we sort of veered off into other avenues of each of their lives again it would have been great to have each of them separately just to kind of devote more time mm-hmm. to to stuff pertaining to their lives but um i don't know it was awesome for me um hopefully it's awesome for everybody that listens to this i guess if you're interested in old hardcore good old hardcore you should pick up the lp yep cool let's dive into episode 26 of the Colton culture podcast <laughs>
1: So, yeah, vocal IDs, if you guys can do that. I'm Corey Lindstrom. I was the vocalist for End of the Line. How does that sound? Am I need more space or am I good? Okay. Matt
2: Anderson, guitar player of End of the Line. If that was what we were saying. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess let's start with the, the start of the band because, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was put together as like a some kind of like fuck you to the rest of Amenity, right, from Mike Down. Because they were,
1: they started house suffering. I think he was like upset about that. I heard it was more like not the amenity guys, but like the amenity fans, like as maybe the Chula kids were mm-hmm. saying, Mike's a sellout, and he wanted. That's just what I heard, you know. But I wasn't directly involved. Yeah. So that's just what I heard. But that performance was fucking killer.
0: Like he went nuts, and I was like, yeah, there's no no competition there, you know. I mean, that was wild.
2: Right. It was. I don't know if it was a direct fuck you, but it was kind of an...
0: Like a competition.
2: Like, and also he was sort of felt um, dissed as soon as um, House of Suffering. I don't want to speak for him, but as far as I understood it, he felt a little dissed after he had been in Amenity all that time and everything he had put into the band. And then they broke up and House of Suffering just came along and everyone was like, oh yeah, let's go. And he felt a little left out. Or yeah, I'm not positive about that, but it was he was also done with hardcore in his mind he was moving on and this was going to be his final like i'm done and this it's is like my song. like exclamation point Into the but line. on top of it yeah but and so it was only supposed to be one it show it was going to be one show yeah we we talked me and him were hanging out at his house and he was like let's do this one show this band was all <laughs> hardcore as hardcore as it could ever be and you know it's going to be and it was in relation to House of Suffering and all those, and Chula and all that, but not as a, I wouldn't call it a fuck you. It was more like he was hurt or something like that. Maybe yeah. a little fuck you or, you know, revenge or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it may have been, but it was his one last, it was supposed to be his swan song and uh-huh. his like he went to hardcore hard, forever. Uh, I remember
0: just seeing him just go yeah. berserk.
2: No, he, it was, it was a cool show.
0: He played that one show for sure. So then well, there was the transition where like, there was gonna be those struggle into the line dates, and he quit like the first day.
2: Is that what happened? I mean, I I think he did the one show. We were done. We were and it was like over as far as I remember it. And then we just had fun at the show and liked the band, liked the music, and I just molded over for a few weeks. And we just said, you know what, let's have Corey or you know we knew Cory from brain tourniquet yeah. and just
1: I think we were living together by then in the Claremont house yeah. yeah so I just
0: remember like getting ready and they're like Mike's not coming like Corey and you wrote the lyrics like on the way up to LA to maybe that's show. what it
2: was maybe Mike was agreeing to do more shows I'm not clear on on that part but I do know that somehow at some point we just said yeah let's just do it Corey's corey has got our artifacts here and we got yeah. this flyer here yeah Cory was vocally fitting the band better X amenity actually. singer Mike's new band yeah. So. Oh. So the, it was okay. Then that's true. Because
0: yeah. so I remember he quit and he was like, "I don't want to go on tour with a bunch of kids." And like, <laughs> I, I don't know who, he, really? who that was. So what I never got was who set those shows up. Is that you? I I just remember someone asked if we'd play this show. I don't know. There was what was it? It was like the Dust Bowl in Boyle Heights. Someone yeah. actually died outside that show during the sh- during the sh- during the show. Like, wow. Really? The gang shit. Like yeah, really? someone got shot. Not related so, to the show. No, no. Okay. But someone got shot right outside. The Dust Bowl and Boyle Heights, and then we did the Red Barn. And I don't know what if there, there has to have been, like, maybe one more. Oh, or, San Jose. So, so we went all the way up to San Jose. We went all the way
1: to San Jose, and I got that flyer here. And it's so funny because they didn't even put the date on it. <laughs> but it's right here. <laughs> Fuck, oh, it's yeah. a party Blatt. in San Jose. Yeah. Blatz, jack acid, End of the line, they be from San Diego. Don't forget the struggle for more beer. Them too, <laughs> and the screaming cunts, the fabulous house band. Two dollars for the keg charge, but there's no date on this. But it had to be the like, uh, you know, the third day, the days right after these shows. You that's know? so crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think there was like three shows. And so I don't know then,
1: who who set those up, but that's funny. Obviously, like the, we might have downcast, might have like re- been responsible for putting this on this one. They didn't they play. Oh, they didn't because. Maybe they canceled. Engage played, yeah, really? Remember, Engage but on that San flyer,
0: Re- it says that struggle is like on Verm or not ver- reform Vinyl, vinyl. Communications, yeah. which soon to be one. on
1: Vinyl Communications <laughs> records. Which I don't know. So that might have just been something that was like a possibility, maybe that was San Diego talking about or something. Yeah, it seemed logical at the time. Yeah. But I kind of recall like this show, <clears throat> and the one, the Red Barn one, the next night, yeah. kind of being where we all kind of became friends with uh, Downcast and Kent and mm. Ebbulation. Or I'm um, excuse me, no answers because ebullition had probably just started. Yeah, and then and then
0: and then we did this to, the struggle and the end of the line records with Kent. Like we all and yeah. I remember just like him, Kent and Downcast
1: kind of like be being part of the fold all the time. Yeah, we did a lot of stuff with them. Yeah, and so we owe them that as like pulling us out of this San Diego. I wouldn't say obscurity, but like San Diego hadn't taken off yet. We were doing these tiny little gigs. Mm-hmm. The Che Cafe was like the biggest thing we had going, you know, because yeah. we never were part of opening for those uh, Tim Mays shows or Fine Line Entertainment, yeah. like at the Carpenters Hall. Well, we were or, too young. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so Amenity was like opening those gigs. Yeah.
0: You know, the, so the there was the um, SDSU back door, which right. is like we're inside out and all that Shit was and I kind happening. of think
1: Dan Dagan might have had a hand in booking those ones. Remember uh, him, Straight Dan? Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. he might have had a hand. He was a student there, and um, he might have had in hand in booking some of that. But it's interesting because I always felt like w- we all like never were like
0: cool enough to be part of those things. Like maybe at the Che, we would we would always get shows, but like never yeah. other than that, it was always like I don't know. I That's how we were, I felt.
1: We were also. I kind of recall us trying to start like our own new thing, not trying to be like a new thing, but just like an alternative to like those big shows that were so violent. And mm-hmm. and yeah, you had to be connected with the Booker, you know, that's yeah. why like a band like Santa Claus opened every single one of them because <laughs> they like knew the dude, you know, they knew yeah. it was a guy who, you know, they, they would open for everybody. You yeah. just had to have an in, you know, and then like we kind of started our own thing where we were the in and it was like, You know, heroin struggle, um, and you know, even like Pitchfork was kind of like rising above that. Mm -hmm. They were doing some opening slots, they were playing iguanas and some big shows, but like and forced down kind of was forced down in there. We were doing, and then those backdoor theater shows at SDSU were probably the biggest, they were huge, or they seemed huge, yeah, of that.
2: And a lot of that stuff is just friends, oh, yeah, you know, like pitchfork amenity. Forced down, they were of the same age group, yeah. friend group. They were playing the shows. You know, if only so many bands got to play the show.
0: And a little know, bit older than us.
2: Yeah, they were. They they were, they were about two years yeah. older. All those people are. I think. I mean, I think we're older. Me and Corey are older than you, yeah. Justin, but maybe by a year or two. And then like like the next group up was Amenity and and John Reese, all that stuff. Yeah. Pitchfork, traveling Jehu, Rocket. So they. You know, when you're younger, age makes a big difference. Fuck yeah, you know, it's a, weird. a couple years is is huge. Yeah. So they I'm, were like old men, <laughs> you know, to us. They <laughs> yeah. were ruling the world, the they, scene. They were everything. so they could play. The, we were go to the spirit. And yeah. Stuff yeah, and see yeah the funeral moments. march that was in their Same oh, yeah. oh, friend yeah. group. Yeah. And So all those shows, we were kind of aspiring to that, but at the same time, not on so many of those shows. We were doing more but garage Che Cafe. That's mm-hmm. why the Che Cafe is so awesome. It always. Like had the sedimentary levels of everyone kind of went through there, but it always stayed. It didn't age out to a certain scene. Mm. It kept renewing itself over and over through the years. Do you, do you
0: think it was like the DIY aesthetic that was that what wasn't really called that yet, and because, also the all ages stuff,
2: right? And mostly, and also because not one person sort of owned the Shea like the Casbar yeah. or something. They got to dictate what happened yeah. there. Yeah, it was you would just go different people would just go and put on their shows there diy so that's why it was just like a vessel for people to come and go through not you know one person's vision or yeah Mays like the casbah wow
1: yeah definitely what became diy was definitely what we were all striving for because we we had vinyl communications records here and that was like a diy label that we all looked up to and then we would order lookout records singles and stuff and that was like another diy label and then Mike started Downside right maybe like right before you started, Gravity. Wasn't that just Vinyl Communications? Yeah, it was, but it was like, so it, I guess it would be like a subsidiary of uh, Vinyl Communications <laughs> yeah. if you want to yeah. like mm-hmm. put a term to it. But Bob was helping him put out those records, but Mike what it was Mike's vision. Yeah. And,
2: um, yeah, I think Mike wanted his own. Little stamp kind of, of things. Yeah. yeah.
1: And he did his, his, you know, he had his hand stamp and his gray vinyl and all that is uh the force down to seven inches were there they were handcrafted you know and not to say you know vinyl communications was like definitely folded up and hand done but like his was just a little had a little more personal stamp yeah. on it to make it that much more special and cool
0: which i think really influenced at least 31g but i think also oh, gravity completely. too sure. i
2: mean yeah, vc really like what we're talking about the older people bob can't be understated is how important with his his shows, his studio, where Mm. he had the shows, his studio recording, his record store. He built up the whole Chula Vista scene and an amenity kind of took it from there with the uh, whole crew down there. So they were the bridge that brought everybody in to thinking, oh, making DIY in San Diego. So kind of what to do and aspired after. And as far as, yeah, downside... I was completely, for gravity, inspired by the stamping and it was mm-hmm. just like the next logical. I wanted to just make it more hand done, but it was the idea was started by Mike.
1: Yeah. Really. I mean. And then it took off across the country and the world, This that handcrafted seven-inch yeah, alternative Yeah, the brown materials. bags yeah. thing yeah. was like suddenly everywhere, you know, yeah, not yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> and then it got crazy. Like didn't someone put out like a gunny sack record, physics
0: or something? Yeah, No, yeah. through uh Mile Pilot. Uh, through, yeah. But there was a the one crazy thing about that heroin seven inch in the paper bag was it was it was reviewed in Rolling Stone at one point because um what's his name from Pearl Jam, um who's from San Diego? Eddie Vetter. Um, Eddie Vetter yeah. talked about it or wow. something. I didn't know. And, that. The, and it said it said heroin and they didn't have a title so it was paper bag seven inch. And so mm. I remember like everyone being like, What the fuck? They were talking about heroin in in.
1: And Rolling Stone. That's bizarre. Cause he would always sh- cruise around the Che and shit, and like. Oh yeah, see, I was, I didn't never know that. I didn't yeah. even hear of him, you know, until like Pearl Jam was on television and whatnot. Yeah, I think he was around still when it was
0: like a huge deal. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. that's crazy. So, so End of the Line happened by accident, I guess somehow. Not supposed to be a regular band, but it became kind of was going to be at one point, right? Until you had moved.
2: I wished it kept going. I liked End of Light a lot. I w- it was going good. I wanted to do more songs, but yeah, it was once Corey left.
1: It. I had plans to move out of San Diego roughly by the end of the summer of 91. And uh, it was like San Diego hadn't, well, right when I moved is when it start, stuff started happening here. Do you remember we had talked to Bob about trying to open a little record shop and PB and everything and like... Mm-hmm. That the you know, I, if I was going to stick around, that would have happened. But like, I think when I moved, like, I don't know if Rocket from the Crypt had an album out yet, but they were playing houses and stuff. And I don't know if they Paint played had, their first show at yeah. Dylan's house. I don't know if Paint as a fragrance was out yet before I left. Like nothing had happened. Yeah. it hadn't took off. You know, like yeah, like it did later. And uh, but you I were was, also in Brain Tourniquet. I was in that too. Uh, that was so. That's what I was weird to talk before you got here, Matt. Like how. We met Justin and and uh, Jose was like, and then to Dylan like, and then how I started brain turning with Dylan. I don't remember how any of that started, you know. That was kind of just funny. Kind of met and, each other at yeah. like J Cafe shows and like. It's just small. It was this group of of young people coming together to try to start something new going on in our town because like, the the big stuff was unattainable and fizzling, you know. The violence. So the kind of last big hall shows. Well, Scott's government issue show with the riot. And then there was, like, that XL Blast show that was, like, crazy violent. Um, well, we still had all the neo-Nazi problems. Yeah, yeah, on. and that's kind of why I was bailing. It was Gulf War. It was, like, raging. And there was so many, like, pro-war skinheads. Like, and, and if you go down to Iguanas at that time, oof, it was yeah. a complete
2: hellhole. That was Oh, yeah, scary. Oh, that's where we
1: would always have to go to see anybody mm-hmm. if you yeah. want to see Circle Jerks or... Yeah, it's good that those people
2: didn't all. know about the Che. I mean, a few yeah. skinheads did, but, I mean, there were some ones that could have destroyed oh, oh yes
1: yeah. nice. the only ones we really had were like the bert and the boot boy guys kind of yeah. like showed up yeah they
2: were kind of the junior version of all those people yes they, they, they weren't
1: some. sdsh which was real like, you know probably all they were the boot boys yeah. yeah and uh anyways i think amenity was probably the most important band to get us all to like meet each other like we would mm-hmm. go see amenity mm-hmm. and force down a, a little bit yeah. later but like that's I mean, where force you, down played it my high school and yeah stuff. yeah so we would go yep. see like amenity and that's where you'd meet people you yeah. know and like because they played various spots they would play those big shows i think the first time i ever saw them was scream uh excel and amenity opening and you know something like that <laughs> yeah you know yeah. and uh rkl was supposed to play but they never showed and it was probably a scott bartoloni show that's tied down if i remember so long ago but
0: what high school did you go
1: to? I went to Mission Bay. Mission and then, Bay. We heroin played the there too. Heroin played
0: with Struggle there. Yeah. And we put that show on, oh, and they right. wouldn't let us write the word heroin on the. flyer. Harry on or something. What school or was that? Mission Bay. Uh, okay. yeah. We'd
2: have to, we'd have that problem a lot where they would misspell it on purpose. Because yeah,
0: of... but then and then I went to Muir with all the other weirdos, mm-hmm. and then
2: and, uh, Inside Out played at Muir. Yeah. that was a I saw I saw Pitchfork there once
1: too, and it was the first time I saw Pitchfork open a show was before Rick had joined, and then. I saw them at Muir, and Rick was in the band. So, wow. wow. And uh, oh, that you know that time I the show with Amenity and Scream and XL might have been a three-piece pitchfork opening or playing next to Amenity down low on the bill. Wow. You know, if I can recall correctly. <laughs> yeah. So, there's like this weird thing though because
0: Gravity existed, I think, right? And then and then you in in the bio for the End of Line record, you talk about how there was like this sort of bidding for interest between between ebullition and vermiform. Like, why didn't you just do it? I I think heroin wasn't even on vermiform yet.
2: I don't no, think know. Okay. Yeah. um,
0: But that's seven. Interest. Why
2: didn't we? I don't. That was more Corey remembering all that. I, I do remember vermiform like briefly was interested but Kent like loved us yeah. and really wanted to put us out. So and he was more, you know, we were we we knew him a little bit better and we liked Ken a lot. So I don't remember why we made one decision or the other. I think maybe we would have done something on reform later. But I meant like, why didn't have. you just do it yourself? Oh, why didn't Gra I it was uh, just because it was exciting to do it with Ken. Yeah, I don't know, I you know, because he was kind of the shit. Yeah, you know, it here, was. Yeah. I think uh, you know they were bigger than Gravity. Yeah, oh you yeah, know? yeah. So yeah. it was like a step yeah, up
1: definitely. in that way. The way I recall it, and that bidding war is just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, Just because yeah. like, looking back at this, you you have fun with this kind of stuff yeah. and make it sound bitching, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, th- this is how I remember that happening is there was some gigs that we played, and this was one of them. This is uh, the first... No, that might not have been it because this is the one with Mike, but there were some shows we played, end-of-the-line shows, and then there were some brain tourniquet shows all kind of happening at once, and then my brother was like, i didn't I, I don't know if i went somewhere i was out of town or something but i came back and seth was like man i heard the, the the word is that vermiform and ebullition both want to do seven inches for end of the line or records for end of the line and i was like wow you know and then it, and then it was like and uh i think matt chose to go with the the full uh album on ebullition because it was bigger and we might have known it was limited we had limited time and we just wanted to I think everything. that's
2: what it was was uh, Sam was just gonna do a seven yeah it's like yeah. do I you want to document to do four of our yeah.
1: songs or like you know ten or whatever we yeah. had you know also-, also at that time I feel like and I don't know how
0: Kent and Sam feel about this but I feel like those two labels from Form and evolution were both like the shit you know oh, and, they were and maybe mm-hmm. like like not a competition well, again but like something was like
1: and it all coincided with how we were feeling in San Diego so we were getting all these kids together with struggle and heroin and into the line people and whatnot and brain drinking we're doing these shows and then all of a sudden we find out about these other bands kind of playing this same like new take on hardcore not new as in like we're doing anything innovative although we did but we just it was we were doing it for like a new generation of uh-huh. hardcore people that were like because you know like say take new york hardcore for example uh-huh. it was like ineffect records was all like kind of there's nothing personal about that and then you had the circle jerk sign into a major or yeah. all these bands were just kind of like, or even instead being on Epitaph, like it was just kind of like removed from the down in the street scene. <laughs> you know, yeah, or, yeah, where yeah, we yeah. were playing these sweaty little packed yeah. places and yeah. it just, uh, we it was ours. It was yeah. our own. And then we had like that Dear Jesus fanzine came out with the mm. Born Again single and then No Answers came out with the downcast seven inch and we were just like oh dude well, this is it right here like, like a new or... and then of course like Born Against comes out to San Diego and they play they played at my parents garage yeah. with and yeah. uh
2: that was one of the greatest shows I've ever been to yeah, in my that life was, was yeah. and we were Against like, in your garage yeah with um No
1: Escape which became Dead Guy this is sick you know yeah. like this is it Yeah, and then the, there it was for us you know like we don't need to like deal with promoters um. or any of this stuff we just have to play and make it happen and and then in our case, uh, you know, Ebullition came to us with this record. It was like kind of like, wow, we don't have to do it ourselves. You oh, know? yeah. It was like it was DIY, but it was like someone else DIY in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You
0: know,
1: that's a, that is, that's a really
0: interesting thing because I also think like it, we didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, it seems like all of the stuff that was happening was like like you. I think you said the word personable or more personal. But also it was like we were more socially conscious and it was oh, it wasn't definitely. like. M- macho bullshit you know like exactly. i think precisely and, and and maybe but maybe it was already kind of happening with like born against and like um even like the new york scene with like um nausea and stuff like that you know like it seemed like that was already kind of there with like c- sort of anarcho crust stuff but in san diego it had we, everyone seemed
1: like more artistic and that's based on voice. drinking too like a lot of those bands were kind of like drunk punk or even nausea yeah. you know nausea's bitching, bitching band but yeah. like you know, it was more like, um, you know, 40 ounces. blah, you know. What I mean? yeah. We were just like, and we weren't all, like everyone in San Diego wasn't straight-edge, Those, but those who weren't, it wasn't like it was a booze-based scene. Sure. You know what I mean? Like we were just like into like getting the bands out there. Oh, no alcohol at this show? Well, no one's going to drink. You yeah. know, that's cool. Or you drinking then, the in the bushes at the Yeah, day. exactly, totally. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. we weren't, no one wanted to ruin our scene. Yeah. We cared about it, actually. Except, the, except Bert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, no offense
0: to Bert, but he, he did try to put out a struggle record like 10 years ago. And I was like, if, I was like, there's
1: no fucking way, like reissue the struggle. I was like, there's no way, dude. I've been beat up way too many times by, by right. you. Like there's no fucking way. I saw him pop up in that amenity reunion video at the beat, you yeah. know, and a yeah. Supposedly Funny. he said, sorry for all that, but... He did apologize. Know, still. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
0: just think like yeah i can't have someone put that out it's yeah to right, beat up to i think actually, at least two of the members of right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and
2: one thing i remember about the early 90s stuff is hardcore maybe all the people like we were saying the different age groups they were even fading out and i the early 90s was considered at the time all of our groups of bands and even gilman and east coast born against a kind of a revival or a second wave of hardcore, which oh, that was, was what it was called at the time. Like yeah. people were literally saying that yeah. Well, like, it was probably a third wave or yeah, fourth probably, wave by
1: then, actually. But yeah. probably actually, but like yeah. it
2: had it had never died through the eighties. No, no, no. And I think it kind of, di- but I kind of think it was fading, like in the late eighties. Mm. And it was either metal or whatever it was had turned in, it had turned into, or it had gotten so big. But like the true small grassroots level band, there was like a. A wave
1: and maybe it was like third wave who knows but fourth fifth around you know. this time i remember agnostic front played iguanas Oof, and someone on, died and on their live at cbgb album with the two boots on the cover and it was like that was just like no one was in out of us i mean whether we bought that or listened to it or not but like that wasn't what we wanted we didn't want that big pack hardcore yeah. bloody show we yeah. wanted like to look out whether you're a band or the audience and just see your uh, peers friends and, you know, right around, you know what I mean? It wasn't, and it wasn't, we weren't trying to be elitist. We just wanted to be open and like comfortable in our environment, you know, and not have the fights. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and not part have of that the is, divider between audience. And 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 it, and that got
2: amplified musician. by the fact that San Diego was so violent Yeah. that maybe you wouldn't have that desire as much somewhere else. But in San Diego, it had been so violent through the eighties. I didn't go to shows in the early eighties, but it was late eighties and it was scary yeah. and wanting to just have nothing to do with that. And you did have to hide away. That's why the Che was perfect for that. It was completely mm-hmm. hidden away from all those old school people because they were at the Iguana still and they probably would have showed up at somewhat bigger shows. And I remember the, that one dude that came along and like threw you against the car. And that <laughs> dude, that guy was scary as hell. Oh, he mattress? was from the...
1: No, no, no. It was oh. another, It was at a monsula show in some kind of... I forgot the neighborhood it was in. It was in, like uh, a community center, probably. In San Diego. It was in North Park, San uh-huh. Diego. It was kind of one a one off venue. Maybe they had uh-huh. one show. Well, that's not true. Actually, I saw another show there. I saw the Alano Club.
0: No, uh, it was yeah. it was
1: it was some kind of art center. The only time I saw it, I saw Milo Ackerman and that woman from Night Soil Man and some other people do an acoustic show there. Oh. And it was and uh, and then then there was the Monsula show there. And uh, yeah, this guy, the rumors, he had I can't remember his name, he's, but he yeah, just he's... got out of jail and. There was this this girl who came up and she, like, says, whispered to me, that guy over there has been hitting on me all day. And I just happened to look over and the dude made eye contact with me and I was like, oh, dude, that's it. And, yeah, he came over and roughed me up. And I had to get rushed out of there, you know, before he like pummeled me to death. I remember
2: yeah. what he said. He he, you had red hair at the Ronald time. McDonald's he said You Ronald, <laughs> you Ronald McDonald looking motherfucker. And he I basically like, had the same hair but red. <laughs> and and I ran to the car, and you had you were like we had to escape the show from uh, that guy. He was like. Scary, I was you sore the next do. day, but I didn't have any uh
1: visible bruises. Yeah.
0: yeah, he picked me
1: up and threw me onto a hood of a car. Yeah,
0: he like ragdolled him under the top of a car. <laughs> yeah, that was like pretty common in San Diego all yeah. the time,
1: just not to yeah. me yeah. until that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: and it's nothing against like Corey not being tough. I mean, the guy was enormous oh, yeah, and we yeah. were tiny, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, I think, I think that the. the two at least two times i can recall bert beating me up i was sitting down and and as he started kicking me you know and i'm like that's not fair Mm -hmm. but it's funny because it it, one of the things that made me uh, that i thought about was like when you look at a lot of those photos of the che a lot of them like even of Line playing or heroin or whoever you can see all of the other people that were in other bands in the audience you can
1: you can pinpoint all of them in there the first row is all our friends yeah and then what actually stokes me the most is when you see someone you don't recognize and you're like, that kid right there, man, he might, maybe he just walked into this like yeah. right tonight and... Then he's going to the Che for the rest of his, you know, yeah, yeah. career as a yeah. music fan, yeah. <laughs> whatever you call it. But
0: I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of like that that scene in, in Twenty Four Hour Party People where they're talking about that Sex Pistols show, yeah. and they're like, in the crowd was like the Buzzcocks and the Damned and whatever, and in you know, the Clash or whatever. Like that that kind of makes it makes sense in a sense, like where you, you look at it, yeah, and you're it must, like, oh, yeah. there's all these people
1: from these other bands, yeah. right. and in you early could go, go back to the, the East scenes, coast, coast, it's yeah. like, that. like yeah. John Hiltz's basement on the east coast must have had the same vibe totally you know? Just yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah and that yeah, was, was what was special yeah. about that and then i mean that's also i mean music is what has kept like we haven't seen each other in 10 15 years whatnot but like obviously music um is what's keeping us like in contact and in you know here we are today
0: yeah you know well it is kind of weird because I, I was saying how like there was a thing on Bandcamp that they did on on john henry west and i was like oh this is crazy that it's like very well written and and cohesive article, and the fact that it's on Bandcamp for like whoever millions yeah. of people. I was like, this is this is crazy that like not that it shouldn't happen, but like it shouldn't have happened. And it's so cool that it is happening, you know. And I think that was how we started talking about into line, I, I suppose, you know. Which
1: yeah, Tony Retman, he he's written the New York Hardcore book and the Straight Edge book and the Why Be Something You're Not Midwest Hardcore book. He, he wrote that, and I'm still. Saving up to send him his paycheck for writing that. I haven't can't afford his fee just yet. <laughs> <laughs> you mean writing the yeah, John No, part. Just yeah, yeah. no yeah. he's a great guy, and I was really stoked that he wrote that. And I, I think uh, he was throwing out the idea. He wanted to do some kind of thing about the. I think he calls it basement core scene or something that what we call our you know that small scene. Yeah. And he was, he wanted to write something about that. So I was like, I pitched that towards him. And, oh. and he he was like, oh, that was a great idea. I mean, we he didn't have doing... basements out here. So we were just... Yeah, chairs, yeah. We did so. the garage or the house. Yeah. Or the it's backyard. a lot harder
2: to be in a band out here because you don't have a basement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, it's just a lot hard. But the reason we had, I think for San Diego especially, like there, we always had to just do weird shit because it wasn't like... We didn't have it set up where it was easy. You know, we were just like, oh, yeah, we're going to play all these bizarre-ass shows.
1: Yeah. Let's start. I remember seeing like Funeral March and Sub Society in Backyards. Yeah. Or Dark Sarcasm, you know, like in a backyard. Yeah. Or, or the roof yard. of KF KSDT. Oh, no, I missed that big gig. There was that yeah. one with uh, Jawbreaker, Sam sub- I Am. Did Heroin play? Sub Society played. Oh, and then Seth's band, Drift. Oh, they yeah. It might have been called Guiding Line, and that was probably when Mark Marino was still in the band. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, they played that gig, and uh, I was at. I think I was on the Amenity tour. I did the. I did two tours as a roadie with them, and was so I was gone for big chunks out of summers, or you know, and I missed that show. Yeah,
0: w- Luke, were you when you were in Chula Vista? Where did you kind of like come into like the hardcore stuff? Was it like the Kids and and Chicken Farm? Chicken Farm, because that that whole scene was like a little bit after all. Well, of I had this heard shit. of those
1: bands, but I. Uh, they had a lot of friends, uh the folks from the band Black Fork I think were Chicken Farm buddies. Yeah.
0: Oh Black Fork was a big Bay Area band. Yeah, and they
1: would come down here and maybe play T J with yeah. them and stuff. And uh what is the main guy from that band that has come up to the Bay Area? Uh what is some of the people's name in that band? Uh, Who? In in Chicken Farm and Ubaldo. And oh, that's the guy Ubaldo yeah. like uh is friends with uh Cyrus from Black Fork and his um partner Romalee. they are friends with him.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it was always strange because there was such an important Chula Vista, like vibe. But I felt like we were kind of I don't know. We all lived in Claremont. And, well, that's <laughs> you know, the thing but, is
1: Chula Vista had the DIY thing going because of Vinyl Communications yeah. and Amenity. Because me and Seth used to drive down when we lived in Claremont. We would drive down there and see shows in Vinyl, communica- vinyl Communications Records store, or yeah. or Bob's yeah, uh, house. back yeah studio and yeah. see uh. You know, anything. There's nothing going on up here. Yeah. We would go down there. Sometimes there'd be something at UCSD. You yeah. Know, like that was not... But then there was like Unbroken, which was kind of had Rob,
0: you know, from Chula Vista yeah. and then Santee. And, and it was such a weird mix of, of, of so stuff. So by
1: the time Unbroken started, I think I was gone, but I had seen them when yeah. i have come back town to, to town to visit. But uh, when I lived here, Rob was drumming for Caustic Humor. Oh. And... Um, <laughs> They almost had a seven inch <laughs> on VC, I think, too. Uh-huh. But yeah, they were they were not. Um, they were just a punk band, yeah. punk, hardcore ish band. They didn't have like any straight. You know, Rob was a straight edge guy, but like the rest of the band, um, it was, I can barely remember, you know, I remember they had a rad guitar player who might have had a mentor's sticker on his guitar or so oh, yeah. you know, yeah, they actually played a big, giant show, the No For An Answer Hard Stance, mm-hmm. um, Headfirst first gig first. down uh-huh. the big Chula Vista show that was down here, yeah. out, out and, outdoor. No, it was indoors. It was uh, some hall, and Costa Humor opened. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, okay, so there's two things that I want to I want to ask you guys, and they they might they have nothing to do with end of the line, but so one was, Corey. At one point, you were you were like maybe gonna book this Gigi Allen show. Do you remember that? Or And like, it was right before Gigi died and you were like, they need a backup band. He just got out of jail and then he doesn't have a band and you were like brain tourniquet and it
1: was right before you moved. <laughs> I don't remember that, but I do remember right when I moved, he came down and played the Spirit Club. And it was after that uh, as I went to that show, I don't see, I don't recall this. I remember he came up to San Francisco and you were trying to book it at the Ilano club in, in South Park. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. Gigi uh, Allen. You sure. Wasn't Adam Eisenberg doing this? I don't yeah. know.
0: Maybe he was booking it. Maybe but it was you, Adam. But you were like trying to get brain turning it to be his backing band, which is funny because I was like, what are you going to do in the band? You're the singer too. Yeah, I'll just manage. <laughs> I'll just manage this. All right. So that's a little, that's a weird one. Uh, yeah. No,
1: I don't recall that, but I wish I did. And I wish it happened. Yeah. That would be an interesting thing to have been part of. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember when he played at the Spirit Club, Adam Eisenberg, I was talking to him on the phone and he's like, dude, we went to 7-Eleven right after the show and Merle was there and we met Merle um, Allen in the Seven Eleven. 11 yeah but, Rob uh, and I
0: went to that Gigi
1: show and watched um, from the, the door and it was so fucked and, yeah, there's that famous photo of John Reese with a picture yeah, of shit everywhere yeah yeah, I heard that I, I so there's a picture of John and Gigi and like it's just like you know above the neck but I, I heard like belo- below the photo unseen was all the f- shit all yeah, over Gigi no and, and, <laughs> yeah and no clothes <laughs>
0: yeah I guess I would have probably I probably would have posed with, with him with shit on him. Just, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is too is like, I, 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 if it's cool, I'd like to talk a bit about Gravity because it seems so, in, in retrospect, it's so insane how it happened and, and where it went and how massively um, important I think it is and had become. And I know, I know maybe you try to, like when we've talked about this in the past, you try to sh- skirt away from like talking about it, but it really changed the landscape for a lot of a lot of people and i i think like i would love to know how you even came up with some of these ideas i mean obviously we were borrowing or influenced by bob and 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 stuff like that you know VC and and even mike down with the rubber stamps but like it took off and like became just so crazy as far as the aesthetic
2: right uh each new record i just tried to talk with the band and maybe give them some ideas and just wanted to do each new thing different. And so, you know, you we did the silk screen, a few records got silk screen, but we wanted to use different paper or what what else can you do? It's just out of trying to make each one a little bit different that you had this variety of yeah. stuff and then spray paint. Right. Or whatever, spray yeah. paint. And then like even the Antioch arrow had actual paint on it. And the first it got they got they all stuck together, so I had to stop doing that. But like the very first uh, "In Love with Jet Records" had actual like rolled on oh, paint, yeah, red yeah. paint, and then we silk screened over that. But it just was too hard to do.
1: I had the red one, and I remember putting it in a poly bag. It stuck. Yeah. Those are all ruined. Yeah, yeah those <laughs>
2: all have to be just ruined. Yeah, yeah. But um,
1: but it's like
0: it seems so crazy to be like, what? Like yeah. why? How did you? It's such it, like a it, basic thing that you came up with. You know, right?
2: Like, the way things just kind of you know evolve you know You once you have this idea it just mushrooms out from there where you're like okay um well what else what else? we yeah. did that just do something else you just have to keep thinking of new ideas yeah. and at, by, and it did catch on with other labels and other you know at the <sighs> yeah. time you know to this and it helped you know it really made it look diy it had that personal feel where it went along with the music in that way mm. the vibe of the music and the thing with gravity, though, it wasn't just the packaging that was DIY. I was also recording the yourself, bands, yeah. and you know, at, down to every little element. And and it, in my mind, it was because I was somewhat cheap and didn't wanted. You know, records are expensive to do, and yeah. I wanted to um, keep the cost down. So I was like, well, I'll just buy a recorder. You know, I'll buy yeah. a sixteen track, record the band. It, so it, some of that made it hurt, you know, like the recordings aren't so great uh. because of that. It's bassy. I'm mixing a thing, I don't know exactly how to mix things, you know, it's a cheap little studio. Yeah. So in a way that, I feel like that's a moment, well, maybe a negative side, the way the recording, mm-hmm. some of the recordings turned out because of that, but it but was... But every recording w-
0: engineer or producer did their first recording at some, did some Yeah.
2: Yeah, but, right, but I did multiple records like not that great, but it's
0: not, it's, some of them sound fine. Uh-huh. You know,
2: I think, you know, the like Earthless record and Man is the Bastard, those turned out great. There was a certain few that really turned out okay but but it was more just trying not just to save money but it was kind of that same DIY just taking what's the next DIY thing you can do you know it, it was like down to you know packaging every single yeah. record you know I mean it's just the what it is to run a DIY label but know?
0: that's crazy because even Corey brought up like he was like how did our uh, what yeah one of you guys were at you maybe you asked me we were like what where do we record it at or where are the reels we shared a reel and mm-hmm. I remember struggle and in of line recorded at this like studio It was the first time I've ever recorded and it just felt so weird to be in this rock place and I felt like they were looking down on me and like we didn't know what... We didn't know what we were doing. I was fucking 15, you know? Yeah, and I was like, I didn't that know. rock
2: dude, he probably... All of our bands Talking a bunch weren't. of shit. Yeah. And
0: you're just... And you're like, this is weird. And so then I remember, like, you had a four track and you... Re- the first Gravity thing was like that Slug Brain Tourniquet Yeah, cassette. the...
2: Um, it's... Yeah, well, one thing about the... About producers and Jeff Forrest was always cool and got... But the he, first time he... he uh, described "Antioch Arrow" as a semi rolling down the highway on its side. Like he hated it, you know, when he recorded oh, it. But yeah. that sounds
0: like a compliment.
2: Yeah, maybe it was, maybe it was a, uh, some kind of a compliment.
0: I mean, you know, it is now, yeah. It, yeah, but like, I mean, I, I feel like if Jeff said that, it might. I have feel been.
2: like it was not in a way but at that time. I think he warmed up to all of uh-huh. our stuff but yeah. at the very beginning. He wasn't as into it, but um, yeah, the, the four track thing, I the very beginning of Gravity, I, before I had really done anything, the very first thing was supposed to be the amenity last shows. I was going to do a flexi.
0: Oh.
2: Um, and, but the tape never materialized, so I couldn't do it. But I have art and everything. I, mean, oh. I had a ready-to-go release just waiting for their live, their tape. Yeah. That Mike said existed, but it, it never happened. Um, so that was going to be Gravity number one. And then I think it was going to be Brain Turn to Get Slug as number one instead. And they wouldn't
0: press it because there was too many fucks. Yeah. Well,
2: also the... Yeah, the the audio. I mean, the there was cussing, and also the <laughs> artwork had kind of you know death like yeah. dead bodies yeah, on yeah, and stuff. So, so big, they yeah. rejected it for that. Yeah. Um, but we did the tape. But that was the first time I met any of you, not Corey, but all you guys, yeah. Dylan and you. I wasn't on that recording, but I, I know. But you were you were recording. there yeah. at the oh, recording. Were you? Yeah. you were there in you know, Dylan's house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At Dylan's, it was like I there. remember
1: cutting the vocals at our place and and your bedroom, the garage bedroom mm-hmm, and okay. freaking out the neighbors kinda. Because of, it was just like <laughs> just <sighs> for someone Screaming like just by myself. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and that. we had it going through a PA. You know, it wasn't uh-huh. going like Drake. Uh-huh. It was just like <laughs> so it's just just screamy vocals yeah. only. Uh so we did we record that in Dylan's little basement room? I remember being uh, there We had that great room down there. Yeah the, where which was like I mean, that's where Rock and the Crib played their first show. Yeah. I, I, I guess they had that sliding glass door that yeah. went out to the yard. Mm-hmm. I've got some photos. Of, actually, I don't know whose they are. Someone put them online, but they're of all of us hanging out in the backyard, oh, and yeah. dusting and whatnot. Some of the you know girls from back then. I can't remember who's in this picture, but it's great pictures.
0: Yeah. So that's crazy because like the the, the the gravity thing happened and it just seemed i mean it totally influenced 31g 100 percent, and it was kind of funny too because i guess now you, like you're saying you had left before unbroken started but i remember the first the 1st first one 31g release was an unbroken seven inch and it was my, my 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 goal you know i'm not in the band i'm not in unbroken but uh, <clears throat> but the thing was like they're like we want you to put the seven inch out and we and they had like only done stuff with new age records. So everything was like shiny and glossy and I was like, um and so at that point I had only been in struggle and and done and done like Kent's style and I was mm-hmm. like, Cool, I want like the shiny glossy seems like like professional. Like let's do that. And I remember Eric Allen was like, There's no fucking way. Fold over cover rubber stamp, I wanted to look like shit. And I was mm-hmm. like, What? Like that's <laughs> so crazy, man. And and he wanted to Make it San Diego, you know. He was like, make it fucking look like, you know, arts and crafts or what. I don't think he said yeah. like shit, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, he wanted to yeah. make it look like that Home DIY homemade. thing, right? And right. I was, I was like, kind of secretly bummed. I was just like, what the fuck? And then he would like glue shit on them and like write, you know, secret messages. And I was like, right, damn, yeah. man, this is like, but that and really... maybe by
2: then you didn't want to just, you know, gravity was already there. I don't want to just have a brown bag on it now. But you know, it's like why I don't think would think gravity
0: that... was gravity at that point yet because I don't think like, I... well, I know it
2: wasn't like as big but you know still like the heroin seven inches out you probably didn't seven, want it to yeah. just look like or a few other records so my i my, didn't my, want it I to think, just you know well i feel like. like
0: there was like the heroin seven inch in the, in the paper bag there was the struggle seven inch which was like everything ebullition like in a booklet and then there was but they had a good look that totally black yeah, and white look. totally like crass or something which i thought mm-hmm. was always cool but then there was like and then there was like this shiny new age you know professional like major label kind of look and i was yeah. like i don't know like UV i think coded. that's yeah and now i fucking cringe at anything that's got you you know <laughs> a or uh cover but um it was but it, and i'm glad that eric pushed it in that in that that direction cuz mm-hmm. but but i think also too like with the gravity 7 it's more like was,
2: an old you know to me the unbroken looks like you know an old school hardcore record from yeah. the 80s or something you know like to me the, it seemed
0: like the force yeah. down 7
2: inch you know yeah. just it's like that or you know like men you know just how you just the fold over yeah. black and white, yeah. you know. Not Xerox looking, but just printed, you know, yeah. just like you know, or it, kind it of boot, bootleg ish. Yeah, kinda of like that. Print, a lot of a lot offset, of you know, eighties yeah. hardcore seven inches look how that would yeah. look. Which yeah. is
0: a which is a very awesome Classic vibe looking thing. It's good, yeah. But I guess like in the nineties you you didn't have the like um that aesthetic didn't have nostalgia or or something yet. Right. You're just kinda of like mm-hmm. that was like what the bootlegs looked like or whatever. And you know, I wanted to pro- present something professional mm-hmm.
1: you know who did that on the great was that label Simple Machines they would they were doing offset presses on like three colors on what and just interesting looking, yeah, stuff, they look, so so interesting looking stuff that was some interesting looking stuff That but it was obviously run through offset printers and stuff and so was some of your stuff too mm-hmm. so the End of the Line record's a, a trip because it was
0: essentially a bunch of recordings just thrown together and then Kent released it do do you know how many he pressed or anything or how never I never three thousand or something that that many. That,
1: I don't know that guy no one knows yeah and I, I don't think they know you know they're they're um, I've heard they're crazy... bookkeeping is I don't think they did any bookkeeping that was like at least they never showed anything to me yeah or you know? or anybody I don't yeah. know like I heard crazy sh- numbers for struggle shit and I was like this is crazy
0: but then when this came up I was like. Into the line. This will be fucking rad. But I was like, damn, I wonder if
1: everybody has this record or. Oh, yeah. The, did you see there was some criticism like when we posted about it? Like, you can still find this in every record store, you know, stuff like that. But it's like, you know, well, who but cares? you can't,
0: you know, what record stores are they going to? Because I mean, I haven't yeah. seen it in, in or in,
1: in the used bins is maybe what this call. But I still is. haven't yeah.
0: fucking found it. I mean, maybe I've only I'm- seen it.
1: You know, I've only seen it used a couple times in all these years.
0: It, part of me feels like that when someone's selling it or looking over it, they don't even know what it
1: is because it yeah. is a pretty obscure band. Whenever I would see it in a used bin, I'd always like put it up on the like display, <laughs> whatever record size, so, and it's like maybe someone walked by and catch it with their eye, like whoa. Well, I went
0: to Vinyl Junkies the other day and, and I and I brought a couple copies and I was like, this is coming out in next this month or whatever, like let's get some into the store. And and Rob, the the clerk there, he's awesome. He he's a bit older and maybe from like a slightly different scene or whatever was like he like he didn't know what it was but he was yeah. like is this is this san diego and he's like oh gravity and like he kind of like quickly caught on to what it was you know but like he knew just based off of like me not even saying anything he got like he got on the right path of what it was yeah. i was like oh that's fucking cool maybe maybe you have to be from san diego to really kind of get that
1: yeah we didn't so it took like not only did we finish as a band before it was even like close da- to be yeah. completed it then he sat on it because there was no urgency to get it out so it didn't come out for like two years or something after we recorded it probably and i remember well there was i was in epicenter one day when that give me back came out the band was already broken yeah and i remember they put it on in the turntable in the record store that record uh, is fucking killer but i heard myself like whoa Mm -hmm. and um and then the album came out to like, you know, very quietly or whatnot. And then it's just didn't sell. And it, 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 oh, people, that's the worst record on Ebullition, you know? But then you hear like 20 years later, oh, that's the best kept secret on Ebullition or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, whatever. But um, I seem to, a, a lot of people seem to have like it. Just cause I've been like, um, as I was telling Justin earlier, it's like social media is what kind of made me aware that people were re- still listening to or discovering John Henry West and And I would kind of see the same thing with End of the Line and then comments like, oh, this is such a good record, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa. I had no idea that people cared about that still. Well,
0: it's weird, though, because, I mean, I really feel like when someone says, what is this? You're like, well, it's got like people from, you know, all these legendary bands and you just list them off and people are
1: like, whoa. But it it takes like that explanation for them. Oh, yeah, I was hanging out with this uh, dude, Aaron, who was in The Widows. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was like, I didn't know that you had a band with these guys. Yeah. You know, which is pretty killer in itself. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool. Um, I had forgotten that we had done that in multiple studios. I hadn't played the record in so many years. And then this guy who played in a band with Sarah Kirsch, I was shooting the shit with him about something. And he goes, so was that done at like two different studios or three studios? And I was like, man. But well, it I don't sounds, remember. I had yeah. to ask Matt, you know, like all the details. I couldn't remember anything yeah. about it. Because there's no liner notes that says like anything about it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But it, there, parts of that original recording sound well, pretty fucking bad. No, no. Then I, I as I re-listened to it, I can tell the difference Yeah. Now. And then, you know, Matt reminded me we did stuff at these different demo studios before we entered, I guess... Double Time was probably still considered a demo studio at the time. but
0: Wasn't Double Time was um, still at, at his house, right? In Santee? We recorded at a
1: house that had like mm-hmm. a sliding glass yeah. door that went out yeah, to the backyard. Yeah. But then when we went back to when we had John Henry West did the record with Gravity we had Matt like in the you know, I guess the production seat. You know, Jeff Forrest was doing all the, engine. you know, yeah. mic placement engineering. I can't remember, but we had you in as like... Yeah, that was when he moved to the... It was the like a there. first studio. Yeah, yeah, the studio, okay. And it wasn't really... It was more like a storage unit type spot, if you yeah. recall.
2: It's or, industrial.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I think it, it's still out in that mm-hmm. in that general vibe. Where is that? Elton Holland, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff's...
0: It's kind of crazy to think about him... I'm fucking Jeff, dude. Jeff Forrest, like he he played drums for Weird Al and shit. Like, oh, did he? I mean, he's got like a pretty. Him, his own personal life is pretty wild. But then he like he recorded all of like this legendary shit. You know, like all the Gravity stuff and like Unbroken and like he 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 got the opportunity. I don't want to say like opportunity, like he, but like he recorded all this really really now very important stuff. Uh, and I, I think it's pretty wild to
1: think about that. Well, he, you know,
2: um, he has co-writing credits for th- Blink-182 uh, Yeah, so. I heard about
1: that. I think the, <laughs> the way that that place came about is that there was that thrash band that was from Kearney Mesa, Blind Justice, Oh yeah. they used to do gigs with Sub Society, yeah. and they discovered that place and went in and cut a demo there. And then I don't know if Sub Society used it, but then Seth went there with his band Drift yeah. and cut a seven inch, just now came out, it, like Seth just decided to put out, release it on vinyl. And he hasn't even had got the covers back yet, and uh, and then I think some punk bands or hardcore started going in there. Probably like El Cajon, like short lived type bands oh, yeah. were using yeah. that. And yeah, that's probably Shit. around the same time. And then somehow Struggle and Gravity bands started going in there. I don't know. Yeah. Did you guys do your record there?
0: Struggle, yeah, recorded the LP the LP there, and then Swing Kids recorded there, and okay. then it was just the Locust recorded there. It was always recording with Jeff.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that kind of put, I wouldn't, I don't know if he'd agree, but I'd say that put him on the map, like with hardcore. At consoles. least all of us yeah. in, in
0: San Diego, everyone yeah. went there, but it was kind of funny. Like, cause we did I didn't know, but like, you know, he would just sit there and read and like push record and like, not <laughs> you, you, like, you need someone to be like, yo, someone's out of tune or someone fucked up, you know, and you wouldn't yeah. really know until it was well, done. Well, that's why I would describe him as weird. for the recordings
1: yeah. I did as an engineer, rather than oh, produce no one got producer credit because yeah. no one was producing it you know yeah. at that and that's p- what I- happened with them the line is like matt you did that record on your own and I, I don't know we were probably like 20 at the time and learning and then we had so we you know that record went through a couple mixes before it became what because sh- you know the showed fir- up on ebullition
0: yeah which is crazy because i, I a b'd the first one and, and then and the new one and it, it is
1: insanely different like the new one sounds very cohesive i didn't even ab it i just i could just when (laughs) i heard the new one i was just like dude this sounds like a different record yeah
0: yeah completely and the the interesting part about it to me and i'm not trying to sell it to anybody here or whatever or whoever's listening but like it sounds it doesn't sound like a like a retro it sounds like a modern hardcore band it
1: sounds like uh it could a good band that doesn't yeah, yeah
0: for
2: I don't,
1: sure yeah. it sounds modern, timeless, yeah
2: yeah we were at on the original mix trying to make it just sound really big and bassy and huge, but it just sounds hollow and terrible, and it so didn't do it justice for how kind of aggressive or whatever you know the songs were. this new mix is definitely like I mean a drastic sometimes oh, they remixed it and you can kind of barely tell the difference. This is a drastically
0: different mix I'd I mean you say. had Tim Green doing it Yeah. It, like yeah. He, he gets it fully yeah. Cause Cause I feel it, like... that was
2: its biggest thing is that they would say people would say back it just sounded like shit yeah. whether they were good or not I remember them you know saw them like the record just did not turn out right
0: it know? was kind of crazy because when you the original when you listen to it and, and there's obviously like it wasn't like the first song sounds the best and then it gets worse it's like in the middle there's like well, that's the best recording and then it gets sh- and then it's a shitty recording again and you're like what the fuck just happened
1: <laughs> we're just learning <laughs> you didn't know how to do it. I mean, well, there was, yeah,
2: there's the Give Me Back. There's two songs that were recorded for during the Give Me Back time, but we didn't want to use the same version on Give Me Back, so I re-recorded it on 8-track just uh-huh. so it was a little different. So there's a uh-huh. couple, like, it was recorded at Neighborhood Studios, yeah. Bob's, you know, studio, <laughs> on 8-track, an and this other extra song, just so we'd have more songs on there. There's one, <laughs> like, other 8-track that it's still on the the new record is the 8-track, but when, then we put the Give Me Back song back on because of the the other version of the Give Me Back song. What is the song? I forget the name. Burning Down? Yeah, Burning Down just sounded so terrible Uh on the 12-inch that we just, like, scrapped that thing and put the (laughs) one-off Give Me Back on there because... Because that Give Me Back
0: comp was really important, I think. It had, had like, for me at least, that was the first thing I ever recorded on. And the Struggle song, I think, sucks. But it was really cool to have my first recording be with in a line in amenity and then like born against and bikini kill yeah i mean it's like fucking stacked with yeah, crazy cool, shit. Sure. Yeah. it was such a good recording uh a, a good album that th- through and throughout and, there, um, isn't
1: like c in red on there too? c in red yeah, is like, on it oh,
0: man one. lifting banner i mean yeah. it's got like tons of shit. and the amenity song on it i think is probably my favorite amenity track mm-hmm. um that they wrote it's and great, it was just yeah. it was really nice to like because i mean fuck, struggle sounds like you know what they have the song this is our struggle like i don't know it just seems like a and without really knowing like we were really it was nice to that. have
1: us on this record with these like legit acts that were like we listened to and respected and so did lots of other people but that was the last um amenity. no maybe amenity recorded that last seven inch well i'm just saying that. for us in san, as san diego people like to be on a record with amenity was cool yeah i think that song is on there that final seven inch of theirs oh is it breathe or something? Breathe, yeah. That's, is a, that, what that's it is? that was it. <laughs> I can't remember song titles of a lot of this shit. Yeah, I barely even think my yeah. own band song titles. Oh yeah, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but so it was cool when you guys wanted to do because so also too I think the three D aspect is 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 rad and it to me it seems like a gravity thing but also the third release or the fourth release I think it's the fourth release that three one G put out had three D printing on it and at the time. You know, I was um, when I was running 31G, and when I was 19 and 20, I was poor, and so we would just go to Kinkos and steal every all the copies. And they oh, had yeah. they had the red ink and the blue ink, and we figured out that you could make fake 3D. Yeah, and so, we did that with flyers. Oh, too. Flyers, yeah. yeah. And it was like everything was like fake 3D, and it was like such a fucking cool thing because it was it stood out, It grabbed people's attention, especially I still love it, yeah. amongst like I don't know whoever Meatwagon or whatever other flyers, and then you'd be like, then you see the 3D one, you're like, what the fuck <laughs> is that, you know? And so. It was really nice to
1: for me and for three one G to like bring it kind of back full full circle. Well also when you mentioned yeah, like cool. the bands like Meat Wagon or like Insolence the Mystic type San Diego bands and there was a lack of graphic design that mm. like was skilled. Everything was so like amateur well, Mystic Records was always very like cut out pictures glued on. And there's a that's a whole aesthetic that has its own charm, but we wanted to bring like art back into our imagery too. Mm-hmm. I'll as just well. say
2: Mystic Records has no charm. The, the <laughs> art is the worst art of any label of uh-huh. all ever. It's
0: always black and white, right? And it's just, or they have a one it's color. So they just
2: took some other art like from a flyer and just made it themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Mystic was making their art for the band. The band had no choice. I mean that's like but anyway. <laughs> but I think that, no, I think we just wanted <laughs> I guess it has some out. charm in that way, but
1: we wanted of, our, all our band art that's probably out. the worst. Well, because like you take Vermiform like everything was pretty stark black and white, like religious imagery flipped upside down or something. And that's kind of what I wanted with Brain Tourniquet too. But later as a year progressed and gravity and 3-1-G like we're moving forward, like art became just as important, um, you yeah. know, with tricky printing or silk screening or 3D, fake 3D or anything. I mean, you went way out with a lot of stuff. It was um, ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, but I feel like you as well. I Gravy feel like gravity well. was too, like that man is a bastard picture disc. It's in a sleeve.
0: It's like why, like not yeah. like I'm not saying this. Like why did you do this? But it's like that's such a bad idea to hide the picture disc. But it's so brilliant because when you pull it out, and it was
2: never advertised as a picture disc. Yeah, it was just here's their like, 12. It just happens yeah. to be a picture disc. <laughs> so candidate. killer. That was cool. I,
0: I I think that kind of shit is the, is the best when it's like special and secret. It's because I think maybe at that time too, like we started tapering off from like going and finding stuff. Maybe. I mean, I guess the internet didn't happen yet, but, but I feel like things were just not as like when you're a kid and you found something in the back of Max and rock and roll and you discovered something, it was special. It meant so much more. And I feel like we were trying to find elements that were just cool little artifacts just sprinkled in there and Mm -hmm. shit, you know? Definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I do wish that like into the Lion was able to keep going. Um, yeah, you know, it's the, interesting. You fucked it up and moved away. That's true, <laughs> but at the same
1: time, it's like it wouldn't have been as special. Well, it's just also because Matt was getting so busy because you're out. Al- the heroin album hadn't come out, and your U.S. tour hadn't happened, and that stuff had to happen. And yeah, I don't know if End of the Line would have interfered. Yeah, who or, knows what would have? Yeah, been, yeah. And then who knows? Like it I had
2: more life in it, but at the same time, I mean, but it was every, almost heroin. Most bands
0: are. I mean, funny. End of the Line was like heroin with. Corey singing. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you got to also remember uh, keeping it in the heroin side of things. Ron was actually the bass player in, when Mike was the singer. Yeah, and then he, yeah. right around that time, went on his trip to Europe. And that's how we got Scott into it. At the same time, I, me and Scott got in. And yeah. I guess we were all living on South Avenue in Claremont. And when I joined, it was like a crash course. And we went out to like, I remember we went and rented a hourly practice place and practiced like just just trying to do it all and we i remember we ran into delmar peacher out there in the hall he was playing with jamming with somebody too it's just a memory i have of that but you Uh, did it yeah yeah
2: (laughs) one funny thing is we had a whole set of lyrics um and and, you know no computers or anything written on a piece of paper yeah the whole album's lyrics and then that piece of paper got lost so we had to rewrite the entire, like, lyrics again. I mean, they were somewhat the same because you uh. kind of remember, but it's funny how, like, the lyrics completely were, you know, like, redone I remember, because so of the piece of paper. When I joined,
1: we didn't know any of the words Mike sang, and you, are, you told me this trick. You're like, well, when we have a new song in heroin and we're playing it live and I don't remember the words, I always just go to this thing where I talk about putting an apple on my teacher's desk. Do you remember any of this? No, <laughs> they definitely do You're like, I just go like, I'm gonna put an apple on my teacher's desk or something like that. And like, I was like, all right. So I just remember just like, makeup, so. you just kind of like start with that. I've got an apple to put on my teacher's desk. And then you just kind of ad lib <laughs> off that in in this chaotic hardcore band behind you, you can kind of do that. And then I remember like on in the car, like to this yeah. gig, like writing lyrics and then Rop's like helping me write lyrics. and he had given these lyrics at something about forked by a freak or something. <laughs> and, and then when it came to record the album, you were like, all right, dude, we're just going to, I'm going to write these lyrics. Yeah. I, I remember like, you,
0: I remember you telling me like, and this is no offense to Mike down but you were saying
1: like all of his lyrics sucked and you're like I'm not going to fucking sing that emo shit. I don't know if called <laughs> really? <it> emo but <laughs> you were like <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't remember if they what they were like but I'm sure they were better than what I came up with. But, really? but, uh, but I you were like, like a punker, t- you know? You were yeah. like a nasty punker and was, Mike was trying yeah. to like wear suits and shit, you yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That was what... I, I'm kind of trying to recall the time period. Was it when Mike was doing his dinners? Like the uh the uh yeah. the Italian meals? the Italian restaurant Australia. and then he did the the chinese restaurant too we did those dinners down there
0: but he i remember he tried to make um ties for downside which was he like did. his record label and he i was did. like and i feel like we were all kind of just like fuck this it was
1: you know he was moving on to something totally different and that's why he did his end of the line departure because mm. he was moving out of hardcore you know which <laughs> you know i totally f- did the same you know there was a point where i was like it was like after the john henry west tour i was like I didn't feel like I had much more to like offer into that scene. And like, I, there was very few bands that were like grabbing me out of those. And the ones that did were the ones who were playing like more of an older punk, like Los Crudos sounded like they mm-hmm. could have been like an 81 hardcore mm-hmm. band or something. Mm-hmm. And there was, very, you know, and I was just kind of getting into different stuff. And by the, when I turned like 21, like my bands became like, we've started playing bars and clubs more than like, we still played anything you know yeah. but like it was it opened up a whole opportunity we could play bars now
0: you know yeah I, I went a long time i mean even with the locust we never
1: yeah. played a 21 and up show yeah and it was kind oh, of yeah. and i, I see, kind of held on to that it was and weird that's great you know and also that was san diego was also a youth oriented mm. as well as there was yeah. 924 gilman up there yeah, yeah but 924 gilman it was also like um I, I considered myself kind of a serious like even though i had my sense of humor i i didn't want to be the goof like the, 94 was kind of goofy punk bands you know uh, silly you know whatever really? and that's all funny yeah, too yeah. i don't know you know i yeah. still went through all the time and i'd go see my bands uh i was always go see icona christ play yeah, and there was course. this band anger means i'd always go see them and bands like that that uh i clicked with but i didn't always go see and no offense <laughs> to these bands but there was like lung butter and uh, Anal Mucus and all these <laughs> funny bands that had like kind of, a, you know, every scene has yeah, them. Yeah, and like, yeah. and I'm sure they were all great. And I remember Anal Mucus was like actually so insane. They were more like Man is the Bastard in an insane way because uh. they were so weird. That's crazy.
0: My my vision of, of, of Gilman is completely different because the first time I ever went there was to see Downcast. And Downcast played with a bunch of goofy punk bands, but I went to see Downcast who were obviously a complete opposite of Goofy. And then... And then i remember like you know periodically going there a couple of times struggle played there and it was pretty bad or whatever but going and like seeing the slap a ham festivals um you know like whatever they were yeah i guess slap that was
1: Hemp. probably curated to use and then, and then it's, term, yeah, yeah then yeah. it was
0: like all right. crust and it was all like yeah. you know man is a bastard so when
1: jesse wrong. townley from blatz booked it he loved to mix bills yeah you know with all kinds of stuff and that what was always like so we would go play there like say john harris would play there and we'd be like oh we gotta you know we'd play with Jawbreaker born against or whatever and then there'll always be like some silly bands on the bill too yeah. and was like, All right, but that's fine that means you can go outside and chill for a yeah. little bit <laughs> yeah know? yeah but there was also bills that were like strong the whole way through like I would I remember seeing neurosis nausea Econochrist, filth or what it's like a yeah. strong bill a top to bottom like stylistically know? too yeah yeah and maybe a, another person booked to those I don't know but yeah there was all yeah those and that was the best as like you know there's nothing wrong with variety but well, when you're 20, you know you want to see like <laughs> a full set of rad bands. Now yeah. I wouldn't even sit through a five band but show. But I feel like
0: everything San Diego had had to have variety because there wasn't there wasn't fucking five bands that sounded like Born Against in San Diego.
1: I would say looking back, San Diego had great variety because you would have like Antioch Arrow or Heroin play, then you'd have all those other like the lames and all those kind of bands mm-hmm. as the opener type. All the, the you know and. I'm just trying to remember there's also this weird seven inches like rug core that had like yeah mm-hmm. all these trippy bands and like
0: or like tit wrench you know like, oh of course just, like, that? Wrench. like that yeah. just but it made sense you yeah.
1: know for sure that's san diego though <laughs> i guess here's a funny san diego memory of mine and i struggle playing a giant outdoor stage at mission bay and like vacation village with Jed love biafra doing yeah. spoken word yeah, it was
0: um, Camp land on the Bay, and it was with oh, okay. Daddy Longlegs played, too. Oh, yeah, how could it? Yeah. It was crazy, because, you know, there's fucking Dylan and Jose, like, t- yelling about communism and shit. And I'm like, dude, we're at, like, a tr- campsite at the fucking <laughs> Mission Bay. Like, our, my mom is here. Like, she doesn't care about, like, the Oh, that the was a of...
1: Barley for Mayor event,
0: was it? I don't think so. <laughs> I wish it was, but I don't think it was.
1: Maybe that's something else. I remember Jelly came down and spoke at one of those.
0: Yeah. Um... Well, I guess we can probably wrap it and just...
1: Uh... Oh, well, real quick, let's give a shout-out to Mike Down, because as him being the first, you know, vocalist for End of the Line, like, we all had great respect for him, you know? Fuck yeah. And um, I'd have to say that, like, he is responsible for... I was hanging with him, we both lived in PB, and he took me up, We were. he had told me, oh. he's like, I ran into Scott Bartoloni from Tied Down Productions at Mesa College, you know? And we're going to go hang up with him. I guess he lived in Encinitas or something. And we cruised up there. And then Heron was just finishing band practice. And you guys all came out. It was when Chad was on singing. Huh. And I remember Ron coming out with his punk spiked belt and stuff. And like, <laughs> I was just like, whoa, who are these guys? you know? <clears throat> and that's when I first heard about the band. And we were hanging out with Scott. I don't know if we hung out with you guys. Shortly afterwards, then you guys opened for Amenity way down in Chula Vista at, like, the Amenity studio where mm-hmm. they built that stage. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's when we all became tight. Yeah. And um, and then it must be around the same time that we became tight with you and Jose and Dylan and Cliff and everyone. Yeah. All of these, that's where, like, and I think that's, you know, I have Mike to, like, thank for introducing all of us together. And the other thing about Mike is I watched that uh, end of the line footage of us at the anaconda that Ron uh-huh. came up with. and my stage presence is just like Mike down. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit I look just like I'm moving just like Mike all the like you know jerkism i like oh I must have been like the guy I watched the most Weird. live you know because you, know, you had videotapes back then of watching bands but you would always be watching like flip side video and it was like the generation before us and then like but watching right up front into was always I guess it was Mike because like I, mo- I thought I was moving just like Mike and, and eventually at the time, I got right? you didn't know that at the time. No, no, because, yeah. like, and then late, looking back, and then, of course, I got more into my, I would hope, my own thing, or, or I was biting somebody else, oh. you know, or whatever, <laughs> but I was fully biting Mike down at that. And uh, even when he quit End the Line, he was, I know you became, you were tight with him still, you know, but I, I remember going down to his apartment, and, like, we would go down to his, when he was promoting those restaurants, and I was always trading records with him in our apartments. Like, we had records out on the floor. We would always trading, like, uh, and I remember I, ended up with a stack. I don't know what I traded for him, but I had like a stack of SSD. The kids have had their say bootleg seven inches. <laughs> and, I, I had, and I had them, it was like six or seven of them. And, you know, I was just trading them for years. And, you know, I'd always like pull one of those out when I needed to trade something. And I kind of recall trading the first ever Smashing pumpkin seven inch to him and i got i was at ksdt radio and like this promo package came and i fully intercepted it <laughs> and looked in I, I never heard of this band and they had sent it out to college radio and i snagged it and then i traded it to him cuz it by the for it got rare pretty quick yeah. i think you know but anyway it's just a little memory but he he's a trip because i mean for for me it was always like
0: Amenity I and Force Down, like I just there was so much like style involved and like um the the nuance of, of of him being like punk was really, really important. I remember fuck, man, when I was like probably twelve years old or thirteen he worked at Slash and Crash
1: Records. Uh, <laughs> right on I remember that place. With
0: Rob from from um Forced Down. And yeah, I went into like just You know like a shitty skater and i was like i i I don't know what it was but i I was like gonna buy a skull ring or something and then and they didn't none of them fit me and i was like i'll just take that iron cross and he's like do not fucking wear that shit and i was like what and i didn't know and i was like it's darby crash like he wears it yeah and he's like it's racist shit and like and then he really fucking got me on that path like the sort of like political stuff and being like vegetarian and like just really kind of like honing in on a lot of I think socially conscious stuff which which i felt lacked in punk and hardcore uh at that at that time
1: well definitely in southern california hardcore it did you know totally like there was little pockets like long beach had some crusty bands and whatnot and like there was an iconoclast from i don't know north of los angeles but like uh you know Amenity definitely had that going, yeah. and they'd yeah. always play benefits yeah. and stuff, and they brought yeah. made us aware of all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know. And the whole all ages thing was really. Important. Oh, he was so strong about that music is for all ages. His yeah. stickers and shirts. Well,
0: because I, because I fucking missed out on tons of shit. Like you know, I was like, I missed everything. Oh and, yeah, I remember yeah. sitting
1: out the back door of the Spirit Club. We'd sit out there and listen to Seven Seconds. Yeah. Listen to Bad Religion. Yeah. You know, whatever. Everyone came through, and but we were all too young. Yeah. And I remember one time, <laughs> it was all all played at the Spirit Club. But at, but Milo Ackerman came down and they did an encore of like Shut Down by the Germs and maybe some descendant songs. And someone bumped open the door and the kids all ran in there. Yeah. But we all got thrown out really quick. Yeah. But like, we were like, oh my God, we're in there. And then there's like Milo on stage with all and they're doing a Germs cover. It was like, wow. holy shit. Yeah. But then we out back out to the alley.
0: <laughs> not to keep riffing but there was a time where, where you and I went to Matt you and I went to TJ to see Phil do you remember oh, that no. I was yeah. there too dude yeah. But that was eh, when the cops came everyone was on acid except me were you oh, on acid I was on acid now I don't think I was dude everyone was like cause Rick was with really? us and he gave everybody acid <laughs> and I was like
1: was Chris Squire there I don't know <laughs> probably if we were on acid uh, so that show was intense too because it was they ra- uh, the DEA raided the place it was Dogma Mundista yes Filth and uh, so Lucion Mortel yeah. but they had became like more like slayer by then. Uh-huh. And uh yeah the like federales or DA or something filth thing you in. get
2: to play. And I never got to see filth because of it. And they and they pushed uh,
1: they pushed us all aside. They had like locals and then like the yeah. the Gringos on this side and they were like it was pretty sketchy for a while. They what are we going to we're going to get put in TJJL. And well, then they basically c- they just said like everyone from San Diego side can leave and we all left. After- do you um, know what happened? They so they were carting everybody. and, oh, they, yeah. and like And I remember... You I were under fake, 18. Yeah. I had a
0: fake ID and they asked me my birth date and I didn't know the fake one. And I was like, fuck. And they're like, you're going to jail. But someone had meth and tried to sneak out the window and they shot him and killed him. So oh they so they let all of us leave. And we just like booked back to, to the border. <laughs> Dude, we almost... That was crazy. I was I, I'm
1: sure... I was like... I just had visions of like all the, the TJ locals getting beat by the... Yeah. Yeah, as soon capitals. as we all left. Yeah, so wait, you dead. never saw filth ever?
2: I never saw filth, yeah. That was my crossed only out chance. When to you were see you Philz. were in crossed
0: out for a minute. Uh-huh. You guys played with
1: Struggle and Filth at the at the Che.
2: Maybe I didn't see them. I don't know. Uh, that's they Yeah the
1: Cornercross played that good. That was when we first that's when I first met Ben. We brought them down. That was when we started like actually realizing we could set shows up, you know. Yeah. We were like we were doing we were setting Was that when I was in up? crossed out? I feel like I played bass in it? You crossed for, out for a minute in that band. Yeah, no. I Right. I don't
2: know if I played that show, but yeah. Okay, well, they... It's yeah. possible, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, I remember mean, then... And shortly, maybe I, <laughs> I did see him and I'm forgetting, but yeah, I don't think... I don't remember.
1: That same summer is like when we, we went up with probably End of the Line and Struggle up at Kent McClard's show and we were at his house, you know, looking at his cool records and they were telling us about when Econic Christ and Phil stayed there that they showed up and like pulled all these all this speed out and put it on yeah. his table and started doing <laughs> <laughs> which is so fucking cool yeah.
0: compared to like I mean whatever. I don't do speed but like that's just funny like to do it around but, Kent. Yeah, yeah. That's
2: like the ultimate uh
0: They were great though when they pulled up to the Che that it was the daytime still. It was like yeah. a daytime show. And the the van door opened and, and it was like that thing in uh it's like that scene in Fast Times, you know, when they like oh, fall out. But out. like they fall out the punkers fall out and the, all these beer cans fall out and like all the beer cans were like super expensive high-end beer because someone worked at like a cannery or something. Oh, really? And But they were just fucking wasted and I was like, dude, these guys. And then they threw s- um, what's it called? Razor blades into the crowd and I was like, they're so cool. Yeah. Um, anyhow, that was, that right was on, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love you guys, man. Cool. Thanks, yeah, thanks for thanks doing for this. Thanks for having Thank us. Yeah. And thanks for
1: reissuing the record. Man. Yeah, oh, thanks so yeah. much. That's awesome. It's um, so it is a privilege
0: to to have the Gravity stamp on something like. Thank you. I never got to um, put a record out on Gravity, so.
1: It's also <laughs> rad that it's just kept. We're keeping it in San Diego. Yeah. You know, where it started, where it began, where it all happened. You know, for the most part. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm so happy we're doing that together. That's great. Yeah.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Luke. <laughs>
0: awesome. There you have it, episode twenty-six of the Colton Culture Podcast. We'd like to say thanks to our sponsors, and also we'd just like to say if you get a chance, check out Corey and Matt's work. It's pretty vast, but just check out all the stuff they've done. It's they're legends and awesome people, and their output into this world is is incredible and very influential. Lots of history there. Hell yeah. Um, so check out, you know, um, gravity records for sure. And if you get a chance, pick up a copy of the end of line record, which is co-released on gravity and three one G and, uh, check out our other podcast wherever you stream your, uh, your podcast from, it'll be there. And, uh, thanks. Late
1: Colton Culture is proudly sponsored by Earthquaker Devices, Fender, and Heartwork Coffee.
2: Planet B! Planet B.